Welcome to Pop Rock. I'm Cameron Jeffs. I'm here with my brother, Sean Jeffs, and together we are slowly, album by album, listening to everything in our father's vast collection of audio CDs, stopping to discuss each one along the way. Uh, today we are talking about a uh, very large and very interesting, I would say, compilation album um, called... Well, compilation album's probably the wrong... It's a live album, actually. It's... um. But it feels like a compilation because it's a bunch of different artists. We're specifically talking about the 25th anniversary Rock and Roll Hall of Fame concerts, which um, was a two-night concert-like thing that happened at Madison Square Garden in the October of 2009. Uh, It seems like it was super lit. It was recorded and released as these CDs. It was also shown on HBO. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was a really interesting listen. But before we get into the album, how are you doing, Sean? Uh, thank you for asking. Um, I'm doing relatively well, I think. Uh, as you can see, I have not shaved in about two weeks. Um, if I'm being totally honest with you, I empathize with people who are struggling with this, but I'm having a pretty good time. Uh, I don't have to go to work, um, which gives me like another two hours in my day. Uh, I've been drinking a bunch of pink Whitney. I've been, uh, playing more video games than I typically do. Uh, I feel pretty good. Um... I haven't gone to the gym in a long time. There's no muscle left on my body. Uh, That's an issue, but I feel pretty good. Although, again, I really empathize with people who are struggling with this. I understand that that's difficult. That's interesting. I'm having the exact opposite experience. As As a quick side note, I will say for the historians listening to this podcast... Uh, that we are recording this on March 28th, 2020, uh, when America has been rocked by coronavirus. Um, the situation is still developing, so I can't speak a, to it with a large degree of authority, but many places in America are shutting down. Many people are self-quarantined. Um, the uh effects of this on our lives is yet to be seen that being said opposite from you i am overall overall fine um i am however gaining muscle mass because i have so much time to like do yoga and shit at home which is really cool Um, part of the reason why I have so much free time on my hands is that I do not have a job right now, um, to just kind of scraping by on that unemployment vibe, uh, which right now is not great, but, uh, seems like with new legislation might be chill and cool soon. The situation is further developing. I might just, like, suddenly get a bunch of money really soon. I don't know. It's it's hard to say. But for now, uh, yeah, for now, I'm just, like, hanging out at home. It is, uh, the vibe outside is apocalyptic. I've left my home twice in the past two weeks. um, And there's, like, 
there's a an NYPD police officer outside of the drugstore that I go to who, like, is wearing a mask and, like, serving as a bouncer. Like, one person leaves the Dwayne Reed, <laughs> one person enters the Dwayne Reed. It is so nuts. And it's only got weirder from there. So it's a pretty weird time. But, uh, yeah. We are certainly living in a time in history as we speak. It is, it is very odd. It's, it's a really strange time here, too. Like, <clears throat> I've left the house more than twice. Um, actually, let me tell you about my, my week a couple weeks ago when this all started. Uh-huh. Uh, I came back from Anchorage, and on the way back from Anchorage, I missed my connector from Seattle to San Francisco. So I decided, <clears throat> you know what? Uh, Alaska Airlines put me up in a hotel because it was their fault. And uh, then I was going to get a flight home at, like, six in the morning and I was like you know what I can do that I can get this flight at six in the morning going to work I'm gonna be wrecked I gotta get up at like 4 a.m. or I can just make a day of it in Seattle so that's what I did I got a flight out of Seattle at like 9 p.m. the next day and that was the day that like Washington exploded in coronavirus cases whoa and so this was when this thing was just like just starting to happen and uh, so I was – I decided what I was going to do was I was in a uh, an airport hotel. I was going to go take the light rail that they have in Seattle from there to Pike Place, go have lunch at Pike Place, then just like find a place to go work, which I did. I found like an Irish bar and I, I just posted up there and, and um, you know, did work during that day. Uh, went back that day, Wednesday. Woke up in the middle of the night, fever, cough, the whole thing. Oh, God. And I don't know whether I had coronavirus or not, but I went into the office on Thursday, and they were like, yeah, you got to go home. Don't don't come back. So I went home, uh, continued to be sick for a few days, and then the craziest Tuesday of my life happened. Cameron, I don't know how tuned in you were to this because you're not really a, a huge sports, sports boy, uh, but – like the whole NBA Rudy Gobert thing, did you? Did any of that get get to you? None. I recognize that you were saying words, but they meant and signified nothing to me. All right. As a sports person, the most insane Tuesday I've ever had was the day that the Utah Jazz were playing someone in Utah, and they just pulled everybody off the court, sent everybody home who was in the stands, and they were like, "We're not doing this." Turns out one of their guys tested positive for coronavirus. Oh, yeah. The NBA shut it down. The NHL played the next day in front of no fans, but then they shut it down. And then all these sports leagues stopped, started, you know, just stopping doing what they're doing. That that was crazy for me to watch. That's that's when it became like real for me. Is when all these sports leagues were like, we're not making money anymore. We're not doing that. Everybody stay home. That was that was a crazy crazy set of events for me. Yeah, yeah. I now that now that you mention it, yeah, I remember there was a a brief time when March Madness was going to be fully played out in front of an audience of no people, and like me and Caroline were actually kind of excited about that. We called them like the ghost games, and we were like, we're gonna be <laughs> for sure watching each of these games as like a like a strange scenario plays out in front of us. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've seen any of the videos of, um, 
I don't know if they're still doing it now, but for a while they were doing pro wrestling still for an empty audience. And so it was like the same script of these dudes being like, being like, I feel the power. Do you all feel my power? Just like turning around to an empty audience. And it was like, this is the most abstract theater I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I highly recommend those videos. Uh, I heard an idea. <laughs> this is the best idea I've heard for quarantine blues yet. Uh, get like 10 of your buddies. Everybody throws in $50. Uh, numbers are assigned randomly. And the number that you are assigned corresponds to the order of entrance for a wrestler into the 1997 Royal Rumble on YouTube. <laughs> and whoever's wrestler's last standing takes the pot. Oh, damn, that's good. <laughs> Why not? We've got the time. we got to get creative. We've got the time. Cameron, how are you using your time? Are you using your time effectively? I would say that I'm using my time very, very effectively. Um, let me text you a little picture real quick. Okay. I'll text you I'll text you two pictures. And then I just kind of want you to describe to me what you see. Okay. Uh, Cameron has texted me a schedule of events for COVID-19. Oh, boy. This is wild. Um, yeah, okay, that... so it appears that Cameron... Go ahead. No, go ahead. It appears that Cameron has sent me um, a template schedule and then his own schedule. Is that correct? Yes, the first schedule that I sent you is a schedule that was developed for, like, second graders. Um, <laughs> you'll okay. see that the uh, activities are things like wake up, which, like, wake up is divvied into the tasks like get breakfast make your bed put your pjs in the laundry and then like there's like academic time creative time chore time quiet time um so yeah i just kind of adapted that exact format um with complete with like the time chunks and everything of the second graders academic schedule for uh their time in self-isolation and uh just kind of kind of transposed it to my life instead of having two slots of ag academic time and one slot of creative time i have two slots of creative time one is creative time with minimal screens which is for things like designing and building props like researching music practicing guitar and then one that's creative sure. time screens okay which is for stuff like this um yeah, but got a pretty... I've found that structuring my time in that way has been extremely helpful for me and does make me feel a little bit like a second grader, but also I'm alone in my apartment, so I can live my life however I damn well please. Yeah, I mean, if, if that's what you need to do, then uh, by all means do it. Uh, I wish I had a guitar here. Oh, yeah. I really wish I had a guitar here, but I don't. I took the only, the only guitar I had with me in San Francisco... Well, I guess I had two of them. I took both of those back to Alaska, and I wish I had one. Um, so, what what do you what sort of things are you producing 
Does that make sense? Like, what sort of things are you? What is your outlets? What are you doing? What are you? What are, What are the things you're you're doing? Yeah. Um, well, I'd say that in terms of the 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 productive things that I'm doing. I have I have a few different like kinds of tasks. One of the tasks is called logistics, and that's for things like um, doing unemployment paperwork, um, answering emails, bills, yeah, also like, etc. Yeah, so like logistics time is just like one hour in my day where I'm like, do I need to figure anything out like healthcare wise? My health insurance ends in a few days because again, lost a job. Um, so, uh, that's going to be a whole thing that I've been like doing research for figuring out and stuff. So like those kinds of logistics are like an hour of my day. Um, in terms of creative things, we've been doing a lot in terms of turning Paper Crane from a like live variety show that's happening into a, what's probably going to be bi-weekly digital variety show. Uh, we did our first one this past week. Thank you for tuning in, by the way. Um, You're welcome. Yeah, it was a lot of it was a lot of fun. But like, we were definitely like figuring out what it means to do that show in a digital space. But it, it we were we learned a lot from it, and also it was a fun time. So so it's been like a lot of that. Other chunks of time are things like. Uh, afternoon health time is very important to me. It's when I do a lot of yoga and meditation. Um, wait times. Good. Yeah. Something that's unique and fun about San Francisco is that like each neighborhood here kind of has its own like identity and vibe and all that stuff. And, uh, I've been, uh, walking around with Danny a bunch. Danny takes like daily walks, which I don't always participate in, but I'll jump out of there, out there sometimes. And, um, so we live right in the middle of the city. Like, so San Francisco is basically a seven mile by seven mile square. We live north, but pretty much directly in the middle east west. So if you go east, then you slow, it sort of slowly becomes more commercial until you hit downtown, the financial district, like the big like financial center, right? Yeah. And then you've got the bay. And then on the west side, you have it, it, like it's more residential, right? So it just like extends out to the ocean, and it's residential the whole way. And what I've noticed is, so Danny and I on these walks are strictly observing social distancing. We're like very careful. We're like washing like the whole thing. So like if if anyone's walking towards us, we'll go six feet away from them to to pass them. Yeah. Um. I've noticed that if we go east towards the financial center, it's all fine. People observe those things. But maybe four or five days ago, we went all the way west to the ocean. And there's a neighborhood out there that I used to live in called the Rich, like Outer Richmond. And those people are just not giving a fuck at all. They were all like congregated. They were all like speaking to each other. There, there was like a big circle of them outside of a coffee shop, like – not that far away from each other. It was crazy. It, was, it like genuinely made me anxious. So I was like, man, we got to get out of here. We got to get out of the neighborhood. These people just, they do not care about this. Whatsoever. Too much contact. Yeah. 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 It was, it was crazy to see. Crazy. Yeah. It's weird how like in such a short, such a short and sudden amount of time, like suddenly like 
I mean, I went out to get groceries a couple days ago and like came home, immediately washed my hands, like immediately cleaned my keys and phone and wallet. Like, yeah, yeah. And like, not even really thinking about it. I was like, cool, this is the thing that we do now. Cool, yeah. And, uh, and we're home. Great. Uh, yeah. Like, ugh, weird. Weird times. Yeah. Very strange. Well, I'll probably edit down cool. that that half hour we just talked about uh, the coronavirus situation, uh, and we can dive right into, tell me about your experience with the 25th anniversary Rock and Roll Hall of Fame concerts. I enjoyed listening to this album, but I enjoyed listening to it once. I will probably never listen to this ever again. There are some truly horrific covers on this album, uh, but it was it, it was a genuinely fun listen one time. Yeah, I found that like because I did one like sit down and listen to it all the way through and take notes and stuff, and like by the end of that, I was like, I was like kind of miserable. Um, I was like, cool, this is, like, an interesting artifact and stuff, but, like, okay, whatever. Um, Like, I'm, like, liking the artists who I thought I would like and, like, not liking the ones that I didn't think I'd like. Um, But since then, like, sometimes I'll put it on, like, in the background while I'm, like, doing other stuff, and it makes kind of, like, very pleasant listening. Like, I can see myself, like, revisiting, like, some of this album... But I can't see myself, like, sitting down and listening to the whole way through, definitely. It's, it is also interesting because, like, it is, it is two nights of concerts. Like, it's definitely not... I, and I kind of wish, going back and listening to this for the first time, I would have, like, listened to night one, and like, one evening, and then listened to night two another evening. Um, but yeah, overall, it's a really interesting cross-section of music like you mentioned, there are a lot of very, like, interesting covers, some of which are, like, cool, and some of which are, like, what the fuck? Like, uh, (laughs) like, prominent rock and roll artists covering, like, an artist whose work they should not cover at all, but, like, in the interest of, like, representing rock and roll at this concert, they have chosen to do so. Um, but, and the, the, like, another big takeaway I had was, like, It's interesting to see something that's always interested me, but I haven't, like, consciously thought about until covering this album, is how much the kind of, like, organization of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has, like, weird taste and a weird understanding of what rock and roll is. At one point, there's truly a barbershop quartet here, and it's like, what's going on? (laughs) Like... (laughs) um i have a question for you just engage me in this exercise yes uh i'd like you to pull up the album Mm -hmm. and i want you to go through the list of um artists who played Mm -hmm. and i just want you to give me a yes or no i like this artist oh interesting Am I am I going through like the primary artists or am I also including people who guessed? There's a lot of people who come in like and do like a song or two and duck out. 
For now, just the primary artists. Okay, so primary artists are as follows. Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Is it a hard thumbs up, thumbs down? Because I feel like I would be thumb sideways for this. That's fine. Okay, thumb sideways. You also, feel also feel free to elaborate. That's fine too. Cool. I just want to I just want to get your general feel for these artists. Yeah. Okay. So first person, like first first artist, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Young is not there, unfortunately. Um, but I would describe Crosby, Stills, and Nash as rock and roll as described by the film School of Rock. That's what that vibe feels like to me, musically and thematically, which, like, isn't totally my taste, but, like, there's nothing, like, off-putting about it to me, really. Like, these songs are about, like, there's a song called Almost Cut My Hair, which is about, like, how you almost cut your hair but then decided not to because that's who you are as a person. Let Your Freak Flag Fly is a lyric from that song. And I was like, this is quaint and charming and just, like, not relatable to me because I don't have this relationship to this thing. But, like, keep doing you, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Um, would Would you like to also share as we go through, or should I just, like, run through my impressions of each of these? Sure, yeah, I'll I'll share. Cool. Uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash is is kind of a band that I'm not really sure how to feel about. Um, Are you sure that Neil Young wasn't here? He is not listed in the personnel. It sounded a lot like his guitar playing. That's why I asked. Oh, interesting. Let Let me do a little deeper dive than that. I really like that song, Almost Cut My Hair, because it just, it really just made me think about dad. Yeah, it feels very, yeah, it feels very dad, in like a very charming way. Don't let me forget, I have a dad-related game for you to play later. Oh, hell yeah. All right. Um, I really enjoyed uh, the Simon and Garfunkel on this album. Yes, second we get, primarily, uh, yes, Young was not there. Um, we get primarily Paul Simon and then Garfunkel comes in for a couple tracks for a few tracks at the end. Uh, I fucking loved it. Like, yeah, like Crosby, Stills and Nash. I was like, this is nice listening, but it doesn't feel like it's like my culture personally. And then like the beginning of me and Julio down by the schoolyard kicks in. And I was like, Yes, like I wrote down, yes, bitch, this is what I'm talking about, like in my notebook immediately. Like, hell yeah, these, they crush every song here. Like, it's so good. I loved it. Um, Yeah. This version of me and Julio down by the schoolyard is really, really good. And it has, like, the, something that I really, really love in a live performance is the core of the song is still there, but there's a lot of riffing and playing with the song, both in terms of just, like, shaking things up on the melody, and also, like, there's an accordion in several of these songs that's not in them originally, and I'm like, I'm so happy that this accordion is here. Like, it's so... They're having so much fun with the material um, that it's, like, really infectious to listen to, and, like, you can really hear it, and, like, the audience is, like, singing along with shit, they're, like, clapping along, like, um, yeah, I really enjoyed the Simon Garfunkel section here. Yeah, Um, me too, me too. Third, we get Stevie Wonder, which, like, 
thumbs up from me. Like, um, not somebody who I would have really expected to be in this concert. Not a lot of these songs I would not necessarily describe as rock and roll. Um, but like, he's good. Like, he's a good musician. Like, um, his songs don't really speak to me in the way that, like, Simon and Garfunkel's do, but, like, they're they're good listening. I didn't really care for most of the Stevie Wonder portion. Um, some of the songs were good. Like, uh, the the version of Superstition that they do here was, was pretty good. Oh, hell yeah. Um, but a lot of it veered into kind of a boner jazzy territory for me with Stevie Wonder at the end of his career, so didn't really care for that. Um, yeah. Kind of hit or miss. Hit and there's some... This section. Yeah, yeah, that... I feel that way about it, too. It, it's hit or miss. Like, the ones that he crushes, he really crushes. Like, he does... Um, this version of Sign Sealed Delivered, I'm Yours, is really good. And, like, listening to it this time, I was like, oh, this is also a really cute, like, concept for a song and stuff. Like... The lyrics are clever. His performance of it is really good. Cool, cool, cool. Um, and then there's other stuff like he and John Legend do the Michael Jackson song, The Way You Make Me Feel. And like the song is too high for Stevie Wonder to sing. Like it just doesn't sound very good. And like yeah, it didn't work. Yeah. Didn't work. Like and then we get, and then we get like The Thrill Is Gone, a song that has haunted us throughout this entire pop rock experience. <laughs> we have heard so many different versions of The Thrill Is Gone. And I was yeah. like, cool, yeah, cool, this song again, okay, whatever. But yeah, when it hits, it hits. When it doesn't, it doesn't. It's yeah. Uh, from there, we move on to Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. This section, I fucking loved. So good. As I was listening to it also and thinking about it, I was like, this music speaks to me in a way that I don't think it's going to speak to Sean. <laughs> I hated this section. I, did, really? I, don't, I don't like Bruce Springsteen. Um, he's got Tom Morello on one of these uh, on one of these tracks. Tom Morello is awesome. Uh, here's 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 look. He does a cover of "Fortunate Son" with John Fogerty and manages to botch it. I mean, that's one of the most, like, yeah, I didn't like that version of, of Fortunate Son. That's, that song is awesome. That's someone who's a terrible karaoke singer, myself included, could go to karaoke and sing Fortunate Son and still manage to get a crowd behind them just because it's that kind of song. And yet I didn't feel like this version of Fortunate Son was very good. Oh, I, I enjoyed it. I love And also, like, I went into it with a huge amount of good, like, goodwill um, because Bruce Springsteen does this whole, like, this little intro where he's, like, he talks about how, like, how much he loves and respects John Fogerty and, like, grew up, like, as a teenager playing, like, bar shows covering his songs, and now it's, like, such an honor to perform this song with him, Here We Go, and then they start doing Fortunate Son, and also because, like, in my mind, and in, like, kind of my consciousness, this song was just, um, it's, it's, like, guitar, yeah, and, like, hearing it in the context of Bruce Springsteen's other work, like, it really popped that it's fundamentally a song about, like, being resentful of people who are poor and rich, and, like, 
I was like, hell yeah, this song rules in a way that I didn't even grasp until right now. Um, because I, I relate to a lot of Bruce Springsteen's music as, like, fundamentally poetry. Um, Wait a minute, are you a Springsteen guy? Do you like Springsteen? I, I like Springsteen. Yeah. I'm, I'm here to Whoa. come out as a, spring, as a Bruce Springsteen fan. I'm not, like, a super fan. Like, I don't know the deep catalog or anything. But, like, I like Bruce Springsteen. Interesting. Yeah, because I think of... Similarly to how I think of, like, Simon and Garfunkel as well, those are two kinds of bands that, like, a lot of their music isn't hummable. Like, I can't remember the, like, melodies of them so much as I remember the lyrics of them. Like, they feel like pieces of poetry that are turned into song more so than like things that were songs and then like crystallized into a, a pop song. Like, um, even things like the first song that they play is the ghost of Tom Joad, like, which is all about like the ghost of the grapes of wrath character, Tom Joad, like appearing and being present whenever there's like a cop, beating a guy or like any sort of like injustice or poverty in the world and i'm like this is so fucking cool could not tell you any like anything about how the melody of that song works but i'm like oh fucking cool song man like um and and that's how i feel that's how i relate to a lot of bruce springsteen's work which it's my understanding is not really how you um approach your relationship to music in a lot of ways well that's true we do have a very different approach in that regard but there's something about springsteen um all right let's take <laughs> let's take ccr for instance mm-hmm. they wrote fortunate son along with many anthems of the 60s and 70s right um i feel that uh CCR is singing about the experience of a generation. Mm-hmm. And I like that about CCR. But I feel that many of Bruce Springsteen's songs, <clears throat> the experience that Bruce Springsteen is experiencing is like a suburban New Jersey lifestyle, but even lamer. <laughs> And that doesn't, I don't know, that doesn't speak to me. It doesn't, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to articulate what I'm, what I'm, what I'm feeling right now. I just don't like Springsteen. You're making, you're making sense to me. But, and that, like that kind of, that kind of theme does that, like that kind of storytelling does appeal to me, like, because he finds like, the, like not to sound like lame or like a like the English teacher or something, um, but it's like to me he finds the like beautiful poetic things within those like seemingly mundane circumstances, and that really excites me. I mean, I mean, Jungle Land is like a prime example of that. Like that whole song is just like snippets of people's lives in like new jersey like 
the things that they hope for and the things that like distress them about their like um hopeless feeling lives and like how that makes them the people who they are who relate to their world and their space in a certain way and i'm like cool yeah so contrast that style of of songwriting with uh two other bands the Uh first being arcade fire uh-huh. Who have made an entire fifteen-year career out of writing music about living in the suburbs, uh, but for some reason that style of songwriting is just so much more interesting to me. Uh, and then Radiohead, um, uh-huh. Radiohead writes songs about life experiences, like visual experiences, in sort of an abstract way. Um, and Tom York has said that over and over again. And I think that's a lot more interesting than Bruce Springsteen also. I, I don't know. I just don't, it's not interesting to me. I, don't, I think that those two bands that you mentioned both, first, they have a different, like, a very different sonic style than sure. Bruce Springsteen does. Like, in terms of instrumentation, in terms of playing with electronics, like, the textures they create are very different. And... Um, I also feel like they, their kind of like lyrical relationships to those topics are more. Uh, you mentioned abstraction. I think it. I think it is more, like, take a song like, um, like put your money on me or something, where like, yeah, he's taking this like idea of what a casino is and like this idea of being, like of what that space inspires within him to, like, create this kind of, like, this more, like, impressionist idea of, like, of risk and romance and how, like, uh, a fixation on, like, gambling with your life and with your money, like, manifests in a character. Whereas, like, Bruce Springsteen is, like, is, like, has a very, very concrete, like, lyrical sensibility. He's like, this is what this person is doing. And it feels... Jack and Diane. Yeah, yeah. It feels it feels much more... Um, and it's, like, it's not, like, a thing where it's, like, one of these is better or worse. It's just, like, it feels a lot more, like... Um, it's more, like, uh, it's more of Mice and Men than it is, uh, like... House of Leaves. House of Leaves. Yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. It's more of Mice and Men than House of Leaves. And, like, two very interesting ways to tell a story. Um, But, yeah, just very different. And I don't mean to state that one is better or worse. And I hope you didn't take take my comments in that manner. Uh, Cameron, one of these uh, songs, one of these covers by Springsteen, I fucking loved. Can you guess which one it was? Ooh, I'm gonna guess a fine, fine boy. No. No. Okay. I'm gonna guess. I do want to visit a fine, fine boy at one point. I bet All you right. loved London Calling. I hated London Calling. I okay, thought it was horrible. I bet you but... loved. I bet you loved Oh Pretty Woman. <laughs> no, I didn't really care for that one either. Jesus Christ! I bet you loved New York State of Mind. Nah. <laughs> uh, I, oh, okay. You loved Your Love Keeps Lifting Me Higher. 
Nope. No, goddammit. <laughs> we're, we're like out of songs that this guy made. No, there's one more. Is Born to Run not a Springsteen song? Oh shit, is that a Springsteen song? I thought that was a Billy Joel song. <laughs> yeah, Born to Run is a Springsteen song. Whoops. <laughs> it is performed here with Billy Joel, and Billy Joel does a very, very good job. Um, but yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I liked it. Uh, London Calling, I thought was <laughs> a complete miss. What did you like about Born to Run? Well, first of all, I thought it was a Billy Joel song. <laughs> I really like the idea of, of Billy Joel performing a song with Bruce Springsteen. I think that's a really um, inevitable uh, crash course for these two artists. And I thought it worked out really well. I thought they, I thought they worked really well together. Me too. Yeah. yeah. And Billy Joel, man, that guy still got it. Sure does. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> I I was absolutely delighted by A Fine, Fine Boy, which is like uh, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band are um, joined by Darlene Love, who you might recognize from the song All Alone on Christmas from uh, Home Alone. Um, uh. And she just, she just sings, which also that track has the E Street Band on it as well, like, so, like many members from it. Um, so it's like right after doing Jungle Land, which is like this like seven or eight minute epic about like gritty, like blue collar life in New Jersey. It's just like then Darlene Love comes in and like sings lead on this like fun pop song about like a fine boy. And like Bruce Springsteen is just like singing back up and it's like very cute and fun and charming. And it still has that like E Street Band like flavor with like the horns and shit. It's a blast. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. Do we want to move in onto our next section? Je- uh, do you want to talk about Jerry Lee Lewis? Yeah, we or do you just want to jump straight? We have a teeny tiny section in which <clears throat> this was to kick off. Um, oh, so night one of this concert ends with. Uh, your Love Keeps Lifting Me Higher and Higher, which I really loved. It's Bruce Springsteen, the E Street Band, Billy Joel, Darlene Love, John Fogarty, Sam Moore, and Tom Morello. They, like, they don't stretch it out into a long song. It's, like, four minutes long or whatever, and it's just, like, one person runs in and does, like, a verse. One person runs in and does a verse. Like, it's just, like, boom, boom, boom. When I was, like, listening to it, I was, like, this must have been absolutely electric to watch. And, like, uh, everybody crushes their part. Like, at the end, Billy Joel just goes, and friends, that's rock and roll. And then, like, the concert ends. <laughs> and I was like, hell fucking yeah. Um, but, yeah, then night two of the concert kicks off with Jerry Lee Lewis just, in maybe, like, a minute and a half version of it, just plays piano and sings Great Balls of Fire. <laughs> and, like... I, th- like, I thought this re- <laughs> I thought this was really charming actually it just like Jerry Lee Lewis sounds like he's about 90 years old doing this <laughs> he sounds like a drunk uncle on Christmas morning like sitting in front of a piano just kind of giving it a whirl 
<laughs> he I does. survive here. He's just fucking singing. The the piano playing is really crisp and tight, and like the vocals, he just like he sounds like so low energy, but like happy to yeah. be there. Like uh, there's a delivery where he's like, there's a, there's a line where he's like, "Kiss me, baby." Ooh, feels good. And then he like continues off with the song. And I was like, that's so fucking good. <laughs> like, what a hilarious way to kick off night two of, <laughs> of this rock concert palooza. Like, so good. Yeah, I, I really like that. <laughs> and um, from that, we go straight into the Jeff Beck section, which, as you might... Uh, as you might assume, is very guitar heavy. Um, this is an interest. This section functions so differently than any other section of this two-night concert that it's like really, it's really remarkable. Like on most of these songs, it's like Jeff Beck plus a guest vocalist, and they perform some kind of song where like the vocal the vocals of it and like the song itself are just kind of there to prop up Jeff Beck like doing absolutely shreddy virtuosic guitar solos uh which is which is really interesting it's not it it's not really my thing so much but i was like cool this would be exciting to watch yeah i like this section um we've got billy gibbons yes billy gibbons do. alert oh my god yeah. um I think you described the section very well. Um, I thought some of the choices here were interesting. They played A Day in the Life. Uh, they played Foxy Lady, which was, I don't know, that was maybe the weakest of, of the songs they played, in my opinion. Yeah. Hearing, it, it was something that made me think, like, like, fuck, Jimi Hendrix is so fucking good. Like, because, like, yeah. they start off even with that, like, really iconic, like, guitar feedback sound. And, like, as soon as I heard that, I was like, I'm fucking amped. Also, it's so cool that Jimi Hendrix just decided to do that in a studio and, like, make that part of the song. And then just, like, crushes into the, like, and, like, uh, yeah. But, yeah, as a, as a song, like, Billy Gibbons is singing the vocals. Like, it's, like, it's, like, fine. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fine performance of it. A Day in the Life, as you mentioned, is is the one that doesn't have a guest vocalist on it. And so Jeff Beck is playing the melody of it with his guitar in between, like, treading. And it's like, it it didn't speak to me. I thought it was an interesting choice. I thought it was, it was yeah. a fun listen. It was, like, very different. Yeah, so, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk Metallica. So there we go, straight into the Metallica zone. Kicked off by... So, like, so like we've just heard... We've just heard Jeff Beck perform the Beatles classic A Day in the Life. And then, and then you hear, This is Metallica, and this is what we do. And then, like, rushing into, like, a wall of guitar and, like, kind of screaming. And then he goes... You can join us if you'd like, like, or something. 
<laughs> or he says, you can join us if you wish. And then they, like, go into For Whom the Bell Tolls. And I was like, well, hard turn, but cool. We're in the Metallica zone now. Yeah. <laughs> um, the highlights for me in this section were the covers of Iron Man and Paranoid, which I thought were, again, pretty horrific. Yeah. Yeah, it was... This was this was really this was a really interesting section. It like made me think about like oh yeah, the like like Metallica is here to represent like like metal and like that side of rock to, in this congregation of rock musicians. And um a lot a lot of this music is like a wall of sound in a way that isn't my jam, but like like, it's an island that's fun to visit, but I wouldn't want to live in. So th- this section with Ozzy Osbourne uh, highlighted for me what I think is an ongoing problem with the covers on this album. Um, so you'll notice that uh, oftentimes when a cover is played by another artist, they will make at least some attempt to emulate the sound of that artist because it kind of works better that way. But, um, you'll, okay. So on both of these songs, um, these are both, uh, black Sabbath songs, right? Mm -hmm. And nobody bothered to change the sound of the guitar to sound in any way like, uh, uh, black Sabbath's guitar. So it sounds like Metallica playing these riffs and it sounds weird to me. But what really highlights it is you'll notice that Ozzy Osbourne is singing with the singer of Metallica setup, which is like super feedbacky, yeah. and it makes Ozzy Osbourne sound really weird. It doesn't, I mean, it it doesn't sound right. Um, so I, I guess that was probably an intentional choice. I mean, they must have done it on purpose. This is a highly produced concert, you know. Um, but I didn't really like that, and you'll notice. Later on, when we get to U2, they did that. And it sounds a lot better, most of their covers. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Anywho, just an observation. Yeah. I felt kind of similarly about... They do a cover of Sweet Jane here, joined by Lou Reed. And, like, the sweet, yeah. gentle voice of Lou Reed is so overwhelmed by just the, the like... <laughs> The, like, constantly playing at, like, 110 that Metallica does. Yeah. So it's just, like, Lou Reed being, like, sweet Jane, just, like, surrounded by all of this noise. (laughs) And I was like, this is kind of fun, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, what a ride. But yeah, that, that leads us right into... Any, anything else you'd like to say about Metallica? Nah. Okay, cool. Yeah, the the balance between Night 1 and Night 2 is so interesting because, like, Night 1 gave us a lot more artists and a lot more variety. Like, Night 2 is, like, Jerry Lee Lewis and then Jeff Beck and then Metallica and then our last artist of the night, U2. Um, which I would say are giving you, um, I, I found the U2 section 
a little bit like inconsistent but like where it hits it really hits and i was like oh hell yeah and like where it doesn't hit i was like okay cool uh fine but i was really stoked at the beginning they start by playing vertigo vertigo which uh nope which famously starts off with the most heinous lyric ever written in bono really kind of like draws attention to it by he like starts off by being like i think i wrote down exactly what he said he says it's time for some spanish lessons irish style (laughs) and then he says the iconic line uno dos tres catorce Which, for those with no grasp of Spanish whatsoever, is one, two, three, fourteen. (laughs) (laughs) And every time I hear it, it makes every hair on my body stand up on it. (laughs) (laughs) And it makes me want to cry. And then the rest of Vertigo fucking ruled in that way that kind of like I described with, uh, like, me and Julio down by the schoolyard, like, he's, like, they're, like, all playing with, like, the song and, like, doing fun new things on it and, like, kind of commenting on the recorded version and stuff. And I was like, okay, cool, yeah. Um, But, yeah, like, not not my experience with all of these songs, though, unfortunately. Question for you. Do you know... So, on on my version on Spotify... It says that Inter Sandman was performed by U2. I noticed that on my Spotify as well. It is clearly Metallica performing the song <laughs> Inter Sandman by Metallica. And so I was yeah. like... <laughs> I, was, I was very weirded out by... There are a few ways in which this, this like album has been entered into Spotify that like sometimes people pop up as credited artists on songs that they're definitely not in and like it's it's weird and like i had that exact same experience with inter sandman where i was like i was like okay you two is gonna start off by playing inter sandman which is like an interesting and bold choice coming right out of the metallica section and then i was like no this is just metallica playing inter yeah no way yeah yeah but there was a, a brief period there like a couple minute period where i was like Holy shit! This is a unbelievable cover. <laughs> yeah. And then I, and then I, and then I was like, no way, nah, nah. Totally. Oh man. But yeah. What was uh, what was your experience of the U two section like? I don't like U two. Um, I really don't like U two. Uh, I had a brief period in college when I experimented with U two. Um, with some of their older stuff and eventually I kind of came to the conclusion that like the older stuff was better, but like kind of, kind of boring to me also mostly. Um, and then the newer stuff was just purely them selling out and managing to stay relevant with like more, uh, interesting music, but all at the cost of any dignity they, that they had left as artists uh, I think the edge is really good, and the edge's guitar work is really, really great uh, on this album. Uh, I can't stand Bono. I really hate him. Um, 
I tried to give you two a fair shake on this album, and uh, I don't know. What did you think about you two? I something that I appreciated about the U2 zone um, is that I don't know if the producers of this con like concert were like were like you only have a very set amount of time like you have to hit song 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 but throughout these this entire two night process like there's almost no stage banter like between a song like some of the artists will sometimes say like we're welcoming to the stage this person to perform this song with us. Here we go. Or like, like some sort of very, very tiny thing. But throughout the U2 section, like Bono is treating it like a real concert. Like in that he's like, he's like saying stuff. He at one point just like delivers this nice little sermon about like what rock and roll means to him. Like, I liked that kind of, like, relationship that Bono had with the crowd. Like, it felt very, um, very alive to me, um, in a way that, like, there seems to be a little more of a stiffness to some of these other sections. Um, but yeah, in terms of the song, it's songs itself, it's, it's interest. it's interesting. They, like, clearly have a very, like, defined point of view. I, like, see some of, like, some of their music I like, some of their music I don't like. Um, they make some, they make some really interesting choices. Uh, in a way that's really cool, they bring on both Bruce Springsteen and Patti Smith to perform Because the Night with them, uh, which is cool because, like, that song is, has, like, a weird history, but is, like, essentially by both of those artists, and so to have them both, like, join with uh, you two to do this is, like, cool. Um, we also, we also get, um, we get a performance of Where is the Love, uh, by you two and the Black Eyed Peas, which I could go without. (laughs) Um, (laughs) it did make me feel a little nostalgic about, like, the experience of being a liberal in the Bush era, which seemed like a much simpler time, maybe because I was 10, uh, but I don't know. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, I was like, ooh, okay, cool, it's weird that this song is here. But then, like, that goes straight into Gimme Shelter, where, like, it's you two Fergie seeing the lady part of, of Gimme Shelter, which, like, sure, okay, cool, fine. Will I Am is there. And also, Mick Jagger just, like, comes on in and delivers what I would say is the strongest vocal performance of anyone in any of these concerts. Yeah. So it's, it, yeah, like, U2 was giving, U2 understood the assignment that was given to them in creating this concert, and they were like, cool, we're here to express what we believe rock and roll is and we are allowed to bring on our friends to help us do so so we're gonna do that and they they like did that in a in a very effective way um even just the the funniest the funniest phrase in the english language is beautiful day by you two featuring ozzy osbourne (laughs) And that's how it ends. That's how the album ends. 
already thinking. That's how the concert ends. <laughs> that is how the 25th anniversary celebration of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ends. They could they could have ended this concert with uh, "Gimme Shelter," but they chose not to. They ended <laughs> they ended this thing with I would say maybe the two worst songs on the album. Stuck in a moment you can't get out of the dumbest U2 song, featuring Mick Jagger, and then "Beautiful Day," the second dumbest U2 song, with Ozzy Osbourne. It's so. Can you ima- can you imagine leaving that concert, walking to the subway, being so disappointed and just confused by what, how that concert ended? Oh my god. Imagine being in that sound check. <laughs> and just being like, okay, Ozzy, you you learned the material, you know your part, your part for a beautiful day, the pop song by you too. <laughs> okay, let's mix your mic. <laughs> like and Ozzy Osbourne just being like, Yeah, I'm here to perform. <laughs> That's Beautiful Day, I think, is, like, a good pop song, though. It's, like, it's nice. It has, like, low verses, high chorus. It feels very, like, stadium-y. It's nice. Stuck in a Moment um, is a really kind of, like, uh, is a song that I think of with with a certain fondness and charm because before I was aware of the existence of the song Stuck in the Moment, um... Or I, I had already been aware of the song Stuck in a Moment You Can't Get Out Of, but I had forgotten about it. Uh, yep. About a year ago, I was speaking to a little girl who came to the coffee shop where I work, and she like had a stuffed hippo that she was very proud of. And I was like, oh, cool, like, cool hippo. Like, she was like showing me the hippo and like telling me about the hippo's personality and stuff. And I was like, does the hippo have a name? And she said, Stuck in a Moment. And I have not being aware of that song in that moment thought I had just met the most poetic little girl in the world. <laughs> like her, her purple stuffed hippo is named stuck in a moment. And I was like, Holy shit. Are you sure that the hippo was named after the U2 song? I'm, I'm not certain, but I can only assume her parents have like, uh, definitely have like youtube vibes for sure i see yeah speaking of youtube vibes Mm -hmm. uh in like 2017 uh gina was attempting to sell her house and i was in alaska at the time and we had this realtor come to the house who uh his whole like marketing scheme surrounds hockey i guess he's like a canadian dude who played for uaa (laughs) back in like the 90s and uh like, that's his thing, right? Hell yeah. And so uh, this guy comes over to the house. He's in his, like, you know, I don't know, early, mid-40s. And we're talking to him. You know, we're, like, getting a sense of, like, who he is. And this guy will not stop talking about how much he loves U2. <laughs> he went to go see a U2 concert last year. He's going with his buddy Mick to go see the uh, U2 concert in Seattle this year. He loves U2, and he will not stop talking about U2. And in my head, I'm like, 
<laughs> I first of all, I hate you too. Second, why is this guy talking about you too so much? He was, he was talking about you too. Bizarre. Wow. Bizarre. Completely bizarre. In my mind, being obsessed, like you two being your favorite band who you're fanatical about is like hamburgers being your favorite food that you're fanatical about where it's like a thing where it's like sure yeah that thing is fine but like it would never be the core of my relationship to food for sure like nothing never really met a burger that i don't like i guess but like never was jazzed to have like a burger so like cool like yeah yeah um is there anything else you'd like to say about this album i think it was i think like if nothing else it's a very interesting exercise like it, it was a it was an interesting cipher for me to like reflect about my own relationship to rock and roll what i like and what i don't like what the curatorial sensibility of an extremely prominent rock and roll institution in America brings to the table and how that presents a, a unique, uh, idea of what rock and roll is. So yeah, it was like, not necessarily a like four hour long music experience that I can expect to like regularly embark on or anything, but I'm like overall glad that I listened to it. What about you? I think the biggest contribution to my life that this album gave me is, uh, reminding me that it's been a while since I've listened to some of these artists and I need to go back and like circle around to some of these artists. Like when, when, uh, the Simon and Garfunkel stuff, uh, was on, I was like, man, it's been a while since I've listened to Simon and Garfunkel and I really like them. I should listen to them more often. Hell yeah. Or like the, uh, the Crosby stills and Nash stuff. I was like, man, it's been a while since I've listened to Neil Young. Yeah. I can listen to Neil Young. Yeah. Even though he's not? not playing right now. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what I'll get out of this album. Tight. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Cameron, would you like to play a game? I would love to play a game. I absolutely forgot that you prepared a game until right now, and I can't wait. This game is called What is Dad Looking At? <laughs> Great. <laughs> I'm going to give you a phrase, and you tell me what Dad is looking at. Cool. Are you ready? Uh, Dad is looking at... Sorry, no, no. I was asking you if you were ready. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so ready. (laughs) The first phrase is, go, girl. Dad is looking at a woman doing an impressive thing. He's looking at a woman hula hooping very well. Like we're at we're at the Alaska State Fair and there is a grown woman in a long flowy skirt hula hooping very well with her hands in the air as like her two young children kind of play around her and dad looks at her and says, "You go, girl." That is not what I associate that phrase with. My answer would have been, Dad is looking at a woman jogging. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's another instance in which you would say that. 
The second phrase is smoke, smoke, smoke that cigarette. Dad what is, is dad looking at? Dad is looking at a grill? Smoke, smoke, smoke that cigarette? No. Dad is looking dad at is... the iconic grill, the big green egg, on his back deck. What if I said to you, rather than smoke, smoke, smoke that cigarette, smoke, smoke, smoke that cigarette? I don't, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. We are probably in the car, and Dad has just seen someone, probably a woman, smoking a cigarette. <laughs> and he would sing that song every single time you saw someone smoking a cigarette. I have absolutely no memory of this, but I trust you. <laughs> wow, really? Yeah. All right, what if I gave you this phrase? Mm -hmm. We'll get them. We'll get them? Hmm. 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 Mm, mm, mm. Dad is looking at one of his beautiful, strong sons as that beautiful, strong son goes out to either play a sports game or perform an artistic performance of some kind. What if I gave you the full phrase, who cut your hair? We'll get him. Dad is looking at your sad-looking haircut. <laughs> Dad is looking at how shaggy you have become due to the poor maintenance of your own <laughs> personal grooming. I associate this phrase with the same joke that Dad would make whenever he saw anyone with a new haircut, whether that haircut was good or bad. Oh, that's Who true. cut your hair? We'll get them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very true. I honestly believed that you were going to smoke every single one of these. How about, okay, how about this phrase? Hot dogging. Oh, hot dogging. What is dad is, looking Hot dogging is looking at somebody skiing very extravagantly. Or? Or playing. There's another activity. Or we are at the Great Alaska Shootout. The, uh iconic basketball tournament that happens at the University of Alaska Anchorage uh, around Thanksgiving every year and uh, da dad is watching a player who is playing with a sense of panache that he finds excessive to the playing of the game. That is correct. Although another, uh, another use of that phrase might be a baseball player has just hit a home run and dad doesn't like the way he's rounding the bases. <laughs> <laughs> very true very very true <laughs> oh, look at him hot dogging around those bases <laughs> for bonus points mm -hmm. you could have said 10 year old Sean Jeffs is on a bicycle doing something he doesn't like and then he's inevitably going to tell me the story about the time he was uh, on the bicycle himself hot dogging and, and broke his nose. And now yes. he can never smell again. <laughs> Absolutely. Sean, what is dad looking at? You got to make a decision and live with it. Oh, shit. Uh, 
You gotta make it, make a decision and live with it. <laughs> oh, I've heard this phrase. Uh, um, I'm gonna know when you tell me. What is he looking at? This one was a bit of a trick one because this was a phrase that Dad used basically constantly whenever either of the two of us was experienced any sort of indecision about anything in the world. Um, you and I both as children had a very strong impulse to like assess the situation a lot. So whenever there was any yeah. sense of choice, it was like, like being at the store and like not knowing what kind of jelly we wanted and like looking at every individual jelly and being like, well, I really like raspberries, but I also really like blueberries, and strawberries are always a strong choice. Um, I don't know, I guess I'll read the packaging on each of these, and then our dad would just be like, you gotta make a decision and live with it. You gotta make a decision and live with it. Yeah. Yep. And I would just be like, okay. Uh, that same tension often causes uh, tension in my marriage as well. <laughs> I, I literally... Because I continue I... to have that impulse. When I experience that impulse now in my in my life, I literally just in my mind I hear Dad say, "You gotta make a decision and live with it." And so I make a decision, and I'm like, "Okay, uh, here we go, raspberry." And then I like, and then I continue walking through the grocery store. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, he did say that quite often. What is Dad looking at? That's... Rock and roll hoochie coo. <laughs> We're going somewhere. We're le we're going out out the door. Yeah, Dad is looking at the car keys. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it is ellipticated to rock and roll hoochie coop. Sometimes the full phrase is given, which is, "Y'all ready to rock and roll hoochie coop?" Which is, is structured like a question, but delivered like a statement. Yeah. Which I love. Uh. I often find myself doing that now as well. I will uh, phrase statements as questions. Um, which again causes tension in my marriage sometimes. <laughs> I can, yeah, I can see why it would. It felt so natural to us as children. Yeah. 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 I still, I still do that very often and people are, are often thrown off by that. I'll do that with my boss as well. You know, uh, I'll say, I'll, I'll make statements about what I'm going to do in the form of questions and, uh, Yeah. Yeah, when I catch myself doing that, people are like, people don't know how to respond. They're like, uh, so do you want, are you asking for advice on that thing, or are you going to do it? And I'm like, oh, um, Nope, just yeah, telling you what I'm going to do. do it. Yeah, that's the thing that I'm going to do, so I'm going to do it. Okay. Like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Fun game. Yeah. What do we have to listen to for our next episode of the podcast Pop Rock? I don't know. I didn't look. Okay. So we were in the process of working our way forward back to where we were in the alphabet. It seems that we are now back to where we were, which is... And I believe that we at one point announced that we were going to do this album months ago, and then we got sidetracked by Zelensky and like never got back uh, until now. Because next to cover, we have the album Daylight Moon by Kevin Barnett. Hell yeah. All right, let's do it.
listeners will remember Kevin Barnett was our childhood neighbor, and he's a really good musician. And Daylight Moon is one of his albums. Can't wait to dive in. Call your dad. And yeah, and until until then, audience. Call your dad. <laughs>